We are going to read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 12. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 12. And as a heading for the sermon today, I chose three words from that um, reading. Trust, honor, and accept. Trust, honor, and accept the things that God gives to us. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent any rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and as a father, the son he delights in. This is our reading from the Word of God. May the Lord give us an understanding. If you look at that paragraph again, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 12, there are the three words that I found as commands. Trust in the Lord. Honor the Lord. Do not despise the Lord's discipline. Today is Harvest Thanksgiving, and as a rural community with an economy depending so much on agricultural stability, we understand the need for a good harvest. But the Bible, and more so than the Old Testament, was written within an agricultural setting. The whole sacrificial system depended so much on agriculture. There were the tithes and the first fruits and the cattle and the sheep, the goats, the doves, the turtles, all were things operated predominant, predominantly in and around the altar of the Lord. And the underlying principle, of course, is the fact that God states very clearly in the Bible that the land and everything in it belongs to him. The land or the heritage of the people could therefore not be mortgaged into perpetuity. And in the year of Jubilee, which is the 49th, the 50th year, all land that belonged or were mortgaged in a way or there were debts on it had to be returned to the people who actually owned the place in the first instance. Why? Because the land and everything belonged to God. The people were then 
like us now, dependent on the Lord to give them blessings in the form of rain and good seasons to secure good harvests. When they rebelled and sinned against God, he would then take away his blessings and send droughts and pestilence and mildew and rain out of season. He would bless their crops and the nations around them would buy their produce of them, which meant good income for them. In all, this is the same today. Not much has changed. The only problem is that we look at it in a different way. In stubbornness and sinfulness, we consider the land as our own. Droughts are not seen as coming from God. We ascribe that quite easily to the cycles of nature. Not that I think there are no cycles in nature because God created even the cycles and the seasons. But there are times where drought comes as a result of God's withdrawing his blessings. When we are blessed with a good crop, we look at that as not God's hand upon us. We usually just say it's good farming practices. Not always does a portion of the income from the harvest given to the Lord in the form of tithes anymore. There are many people who argue that tithing is something of the Old Testament and we don't need to do that anymore. Well, certainly we see here on, on the table as we have uh, you know, looked at that and thank you for the ladies who have prepared that. Uh, that is a, a symbolic of what we confess is the greater blessing of the Lord on the land. We give for the work of the Lord, not in the form of produce all the time anymore, but in the form of cash, purely because we live in a completely different culture. We don't have a temple service, and we, there, there are no Levites and priests, and there are no temple taxes anymore. Uh, moreover, only a small portion of our church is really on the land today. Others earn a living through other means. But the, rep- but the principle remains the same. What we have belongs to God. And we should honor him in what we have. There should be a proportionate contribution to the work of the Lord with what I think the Bible says attends to be the least of what we honor God with. The reason is the same as coming through the Bible all the time. God has ordained for some people to be in his service full-time as pastors or ministers or missionaries or college teachers or Bible translators and other spiritual workers. Our contribution financially to the work of Christ is to see the work of the gospel having success through those whom God, God called for this purpose. But in all we should not forget the New Testament principle is now broader to include every believer as part of the workforce of the Lord. We all belong to the universal priesthood of believers, and as such we are co-partners of those who are called for dedicated service. 
And for this service, money is needed. Someone said to me, when I was just new to the ministry some years ago, you supposed to work for the love of it. To which someone then said, love does not buy groceries. It is true. We, we, need, we, we need to honor the Lord with, can I say that? Cash. You know, there are people who just say, no, no, that's an ugly word. That's a, that, is, uh, that is a very, very worldly term for the church. But it's not true. In looking at how we need to deal with the things God calls us to be stewards of, which is our time and our talents and our income, let's just get a few principles from the Bible as it comes from Proverbs chapter five, chapter three, five to twelve. First of all, then trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. You will do well to take the Bible once again and look at verses five to eight. Because there are two positive commands and there are two negative commands and there are two promises in these verses. First of all, we look at the positive commands. If you, if, you, if you look at that, you want to read that again with me? The first one is, trust the Lord with all your heart. And then there's another one. It says, acknowledge him in all your ways. Now let's look at these things. To trust the Lord is to be happy in the Lord. I was quite surprised when I really looked up the meaning of this Hebrew word. And it is to be happy in the Lord because we know that we can put our confidence in him who watches over us. It describes and expresses that sense of well-being and security which results from having something or someone in whom we can place our confidence. In other, and another word is to put one's hope in God. And hope, we know in the Bible, is not just that hollow s sense of saying, okay, well, I hope so. In the Bible it means, yes, God will provide. It stresses the knowledge of being safe and secure. If you trust in God, you, you're happy to know that in his hand, you're safe and secure. To trust God then is to know who he is, what he can do, and why he would do that. First of all, who is God? He is the creator God, the almighty, the faithful, the one who ordained the season, who calls the wind to bring the clouds, who commands the thunder, the lightning, and the rain. What he does is to sustain all he has made according to his revealed purpose for his own glory and for the good of those who love him. That's the Lord we, we can trust. Why? Because he is faithful to his promises. And he secures those he holds in his hand because he loves them. It is to trust the Lord with all your heart. 
This corresponds with the first commandment of the Lord to love him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. It is a complete trust. It's a complete love which demands a complete surrender and a complete love. Then the second one, then uh, to acknowledge him. It is to, love, to live in a relationship with him. The word is used for know, not only for acknowledge. It's, it's used for to know God. And also expressed, this, this, this then of course is expressed in the Old Testament more than once to, to, to the, express the intimate relationship between a husband and wife. When Hosea then says that there is no knowledge of God in the land, he indicates that apart from knowing God through his law and the Bible, there is no walk, no communion, and no communication with God. That's that no. Once again, it is an all-demanding and an all-encompassing obedience in all your ways. And that's equivalent then with all your heart. To know the Lord is to love the Lord, to walk with Him, to have communion with Him, to communicate with Him, to take His hand as He takes your hand. Trust and know God. Be happy to leave things in his hands, knowing that he is your father who wants to put your hand in his hand and walk with you like his child. Look once again at Hosea there. If you go to some of the chapters, there, chapter 11, for instance, he said, you're my child. I picked you up and I, and I carried you on my shoulders. When you gave your first step, I was there to hold your hand. And now the Bible here this morning says, Trust God and know Him. But do that with all your heart. Do that in all your ways. Then the negative commands in these verses says, Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Own understanding in Proverbs is to disregard the law of God, to follow one's own mind in rebellion to God. The same can be said of being wise in our own eyes. As a matter of fact, to be wise in our own eyes or to follow your own understanding is against all the Ten Commandments of the Lord. It is a way of life that shuns God's law in favor of what we see is good and correct. We become, we become ourselves the standard of our life. And we determine the boundaries of what is good and what is bad. He who walks in such a way before the Lord cannot speak of a relationship with God in trusting Him and acknowledging Him. Such a life has no purpose, it has no goal, it has no meaning other than, other than to gratify one's own desires. And the Bible calls that idolatry. And such life ends in disaster. So how do we walk before the Lord? Maybe I should take it back to what that first answer a question and answer of the larger catechism is and many of us know that to enjoy 
God and love Him forever. To enjoy Him, to trust Him, to walk with Him and not follow our own heart. What are the promises in these verses? First of all, God will make straight the paths of him who trusts him. The second, God will give health and happiness. Now, there's nothing of the so-called prosperity theology in these promises. It is neither a sort of, if I will do this, God will do that theology. You know, some people say, well, that's what I'll do. is I'll do this and I'll have God more or less in a corner. So that he need to do this for me. No, no, that's not what it means. It, it rather expresses nothing more than a father-child relationship. Like a father, God cares for his children. He loves them and he gives them what any earthly father would give his child that he loves. Shelter, food, care, love, and the things he needs to be happy. That's what those verses say. An earthly father will do what he can to see that his child is healthy, even if it means that he has to disadvantage himself in order for his child to be nourished and grow up and to take his place in life. And this is what God does and what he did for us in Jesus Christ. He gave his son so that we would enjoy spiritual life and happiness and more so than also in this life, but also in eternal life. If we acknowledge him in all our ways, he will make straight our paths. This is another way to express God's blessings. To be blessed by God is to be really happy, to be content, to be satisfied. My life is in God's hands, and he cares for me. David writes, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as noonday. Delight in the Lord. Now the second main word in this uh, paragraph that we read is honor the Lord. Honor the Lord. Trust the Lord was the first. The second is honor the Lord. Well, if one trusts in the Lord, delighting in his grace to make you happy, if one does not lean on one's own understanding, but delight in doing the will of God, if one is led by God who straightens your path and gives you what you need to live, what does one then do with the things that God blesses you with? Honor him with it. Our time, our talents, and our money are not our own. These are the things God gives to those whom he loves. He demands from them to use these things for his glory, for the growth of his kingdom, and for the service of the family, of the household of God in the first instance, and then also for those who are still living outside of the grace of God. This then is the honor of verse 9. When we honor God, we want him, want to make him great. Now that word honor there is an interesting word. It's of course the word that we find in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother. And that word honor there is also used for something that is of weight. 
That is something that, that really carries some weight. I'd be one of those, you know. Uh, not that you have to honor me for that, but I mean, um, it, 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 it's weight. And that, that is to say that, yes, when we apply that in a symbolic sense, then, in, uh, then we say we want to make God look great. It, to honor him is to magnify him. It is to say to him, you are the reason for, live, uh, for, for living. You are the center of your life. What you command is what we are willing to do. If you, O oh Lord, want my belongings to glorify your name, then take it. It belongs to you in the first instance in any case. As long as what I can do bring glory to your name, because you are the one that deserves all these things. To bring uh, to the Lord the first fruits of the crop of, uh, is to bring him the choices of the best things, particularly in re- reference to items set aside for God's service in the sacrifice of the Old Testament. It is to say, Lord, I give you the best that I have. Why would we withhold our best from him? If he gave us his best, his only begotten son. Our life belongs to him. What we have belongs to him. Nothing can we withhold from him. For he, for him we give the best we have. Not only in terms of material things like money. Yes, that included but the best of our time and the best of our talent also. God did not demand more than a tenth of the crop, but in doing so, he also wanted them to know that what he allowed them to keep also belonged to them, to him. And here the Apostle Paul and what he wrote, this, read, uh, wrote and what we read this morning comes in. Each one must give as he decide, has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in all good work. Yes, I give to the Lord what belongs to him. And the Lord says, well, there are certain things you can, you, can, you, can, you can manage. But when you do that, acknowledge me in that. And therefore I say, yes, Lord, as I would spend six days out of the seven on the land and do my thing, even those days don't belong to me, they belong to you. But the special day is the seventh day. Then I come to worship you and I set that aside for your service. And the tenth that I have, I set aside for your service, knowing full well that the other part that I, that I keep, that belongs to you too. So what is the promise? Give to the Lord and he will also give, always give to you back what you gave to him your bonds will be overflowing the bible says this is what i call heavenly arithmetic 
Heavenly arithmetic works a bit differently from what we think, isn't it? I go to my barn, I take a few things out of that, I go and I take it to the temple, I give it to the Lord and I come back. What do I expect? I expect to be there to be less because I've taken out of that. The Lord says, you take that, you give it to the Lord and you trust him and you enjoy him and you love him and you follow me in all your ways. You go back, what do you get? It's overflowing. So what do you do what's overflowing now? You take that again and you give it away. You go back, what do you get there? It's still overflowing. So what do you do? You you give that away too. And it's, it's a wonderful way in which we trust God to give to him. To know that he never demands before he gives. But when he gives, he also demands. It is really to trust God even when the arithmetic is not really working out. You see? Sometimes, and that's the, uh, the message of the Bible uh, in one of the smaller prophets, where the Lord says, they said, we can't give because we don't have. And the Lord sent his prophet to his people and he said, you've got it wrong. You don't have because you don't give. And it's time that we wake up to this thing. The more we give away and trusting God, the more he will provide for us. And the more it becomes a a relationship that becomes so adventurous in a way. To say, well, the Lord demands that for me and I give it to him because I love him so much. I don't know how I'm going to make it through the end of the month, but I trust him that he will give it to me. You know what? In more than once, you'll get that. You'll get that. Just the last word then. And I've put that in the the positive. It says there in the negative there, uh, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And I put that in the positive just to say, accept the discipline of the Lord. Yes, sometimes there are droughts. There are floods. There are the hopeless prices of our grain. There are the grasshoppers and the pests. And what then? We cannot always draw, draw a line between God's discipline and our sinfulness. It was definitely not the case in the life of Job and Paul. These two people knew what hardships really meant. And yet, God loved them. And they loved God. And sometimes God indeed visits our sins by withholding his blessings from us. And therefore we always need to walk with God and trust Him and love Him and enjoy Him and obey Him. But there are times when His discipline takes us to another level of obedience and trust. This is so because God disciplines those whom He loves. To be disciplined by the Father is to show that we are genuine children and not illegitimate children. We have had the drought with us now for many years. One crop after the other failed. And let no one look at the land and anyone living on the land 
and say that these years have been easy. They've been difficult. They were testing years. But let's be honest and say that God has still provided. There were losses and disappointments. Some can show the scars and the wounds. But in the end their relationship with God might have deepened. And their service to the Lord purified. And with Peter they might look back and say... So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. My heart goes out to you who live on the land. And we should not Never stop praying for those who rely so much on the rain. But there are times that God sends discipline. Accept that. Accept that. As today we remember the goodness of God in this harvest thanksgiving, let us once again remember the word of God today. Trust him. Love him. Enjoy him. Walk with him. Turn away from stubborn disobedience to his word and law. Accept the good things from him. Give to him what he has given you in the first instance as you desire to magnify and glorify him. But also as his child, submit to his discipline. Learn what it means to say with Habakkuk. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock are cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Amen. Father, we take your word, the everlasting word of God, on board today. And we pray, Father, that you will teach us to trust you, to enjoy you, to walk with you, to turn away from stubborn disobedience, to honor you, especially with the things you give us, with the best we have, and also to accept your discipline. We pray for the people on the land. We pray, Father, that this season coming will be a better season than last. That if it's your will, Lord, that you will open the windows of heaven, that you will fill the dams, the creeks and the rivers. That you will provide good rains on the paddocks. That you will bless the seed sown. 
that you will command the pests not to hit and that in the end, Father, there will be good prices for the grain. And not only for those on the land do we pray, we pray for those who work in other ways and for those who have had a work life and still look upon you for their blessings. Answer their prayers. Be their God for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen.